Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me on my first podcast, Forgotten Things, the podcast that covers forgotten histories, people, traditions, and other things that have been lost to household knowledge. Today, I want to talk about the lost history of cannabis. Um, This will be in multiple parts that will span several weeks. Uh, And first, I want to cover the ancient history of cannabis. Uh, Since this is the first podcast, it's going to start out pretty scripted, but as we go and I get accustomed to doing this, uh, I'll get less and less scripted. So again, thank you for joining me, and let's get into the ancient history of cannabis. Um, So the history of cannabis is ingrained, is as ingrained in our history as it is possible to be. Um, Sativa in Latin means cultivated, and considering the thousands of plants that we have learned to cultivate since the revolution of agriculture, uh, attributing that designation to this plant specifically is symbolically extremely significant. Um, Cannabis has been used by almost every single ancient culture to some level, all the way to being lauded for its medicinal benefits by Victorian England and North America as an integral part of their respective pharmacopias. Um, So yeah, uh, Victorian England and North America especially were particularly interested in using cannabis and hemp for medicine. Um, It wasn't until 1910 that public opinion began to turn away from cannabis, uh, completely at the mercy of the interest of large companies, um, including the emerging psychopharmaceutical Uh, industry, the mental health industry, um, oil, textile, and paper, uh, paper manufacturers, they managed to convince people that marijuana, as it was racially and sensitively called, was not only a social issue, but a dangerous drug pernicious enough to corrupt children and to identify and isolate something uh, ideologically barbaric. Up until then, cannabis was regarded as a veritable panacea, something that could be relied on to aid the most common of ailments to the heaviest spiritual uncertainties. Um, From ancient Indian bong to 18th century England's alcoholic tincture, uh, I'll explore the role of cannabis in everyday life in medicine and the way that it traveled through the world by way of innovation and then later technological revolution. For now, we're going to stick with the um, ancient cultures. So it was uh, 38,000 BC when we first discovered cannabis. Um, It grew on the Eastern Tibetan Plateau and immediately we realized its usefulness. We wove the stock into fibers for ropes and hardy textiles and uh, smoked its flowers for relaxation, spiritual ritual, and for its general anesthetic properties. Um, As humans traveled, it rooted in ancient Chinese and ancient Indian cultures for centuries to come. Uh, for example, in the Banpo village in China, sorry for pronunciation, um, clay jars were found with hemp fiber markings, meaning that they had wrapped hemp ropes around these clay jars for use. Um, they date back to nearly 12,000 BC, and their earliest evidence that we used han- cannabis and hemp until 1997, when we discovered a hemp rope in uh, that was that was dated back to nearly 27,000 BC. Um, so it was believed that cannabis began to develop on the earth nearly 28 million years ago um, and had been a wildflower up until we started to cultivate it. So it was free and fair to use at the dawn of civilization and uh, integral to the agricultural revolution. It was really something that allowed us to move forward in learning how to cultivate things in the first place. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Then, 60 miles west of the Dead Sea, uh, near what is now called Beersheba, uh, archaeologists uncovered an altar with cannabis residue burnt on it with other offerings, such as frankincense, myrrh, or balsam. When cannabis and other herbs are used in this manner, uh, those participating would enclose a space around the altar so that the intoxicating smoke would fill the room and the participants could share an experience of higher thought, connection to God, or simply altered consciousness. Um, Next, I want to talk about the Yamnaya people. Uh, Most of what we know about the Yamnaya people who lived just north of the Black Sea starting around 5000 BC is from archaeology. We don't have a lot of uh, written history about them. They were nomadic pastoralists, so they didn't live in one place, but they moved seasonally with their livestock to wherever was most favorable. 
they cultivated plants, including cannabis, where they stayed for the season and were part of the beginning of the rise of agriculture. This was the later part of the Stone Age when we had learned to sharpen stones for tools and weapons. Uh, so the intimidating Yamnaya people had a habit of uh, kind of conquering where they went. And they were so prolific in their ability to establish fatherhood that a lot of, um, I believe a lot of Europe, like three quarters of Europe can trace their families back to the Yamnaya people. Uh, they lived and traveled from what is now the Ukraine to Kazakhstan, and they invaded Europe through to they threw Europe to Spain by 3000 BC. Um, so they, you know, ruled and lived in a lot of Eastern Europe and then through to Western Europe as well. These people used cannabis and hemp for its most common historical uses. Uh, they smoked it, they made textiles and ropes in their fibers, and they used it for the most basic medicinal uses, mostly pain and inflammation. Their nomadic lifestyle was the perfect gateway for the cannabis from China to make its way all the way through Eurasia, and by the end of the BCE era, it had showed up basically all over the two continents. Um, some other examples of archaeology, like our archaeological evidence of cannabis, are Ramses II. Um, he was found with nearly seven grams of cannabis pollen, which is also known as keef, uh, which is can be used for um, medicine and recreation, can be used kind of like a concentrate, you can smoke it, or it can actually be used for cultivation purposes um, to proliferate the, the plant. So this confirmed the theories that ancient Egypt was using cannabis, which we've kind of seen with some papyri. Uh, there are a lot of what look like references to cannabis and papyri, and I will get to that later. Um, Ramses II pipes and other belongings seem to confirm suspicion that uh, the plant was used. Uh, I believe there were traces of it in his pipes or in the belongings that he had as well. Um, then there are uh, hemp ropes. Then, like, you know, from the hemp ropes, that's kind of how they gained a lot of the archaeological evidence. So through that, we can tell that it's been a part of our lives for a really long time. Um, so the next thing I want to talk about is cannabis in the scriptures. Um, there are a lot of uh, scriptures that a lot of people think cannabis might have been mentioned in. I just want to talk about a couple of them. Uh, there's some in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I will be talking about uh, the Atharva Veda, which is the Hindu sacred text, later when I talk about ancient India. Um, so, right, the Old Testament and the New Testament, if cannabis is the plant being described, then it would mean that cannabis is not only a remarkable healing agent, according to the Bible, but a way to become closer with God, uh, you know, if, 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 that is, if that is part of your belief system. For some people, it's simply that cannabis not only has so many practical applications from creating lasting textiles and hardy ropes, but that its naturally occurring cannabinoids have medicinal qualities that it must be meant for us to use. We even create our own cannabinoids, which are interchangeable with the ones found in the cannabis plant. The anandamide we create can be replaced with tetrahydrocannabinol, and our endocannabinoid system assists functioning in every part of our bodies. Uh, that itself, the, can the endocannabinoid system needs needs its whole own whole own podcast. <laughs> but um, in short, in our bo like our bodies really love cannabinoids. We use them very very well, and many of the ways that cannabis is used throughout the Bible. Uh, matches the way that cannabis is used today from dermatitis to menstrual problems, chronic pain, and general wellness. Um, it also further strengthens the belief that cannabis has been used throughout the scriptures and also gives clues as to how some of the biblical miracles may have been performed and then you know, sort of fantasticized by people. Um, so in the original translation of the Bible, what the, the word that they think is Cannabis is cannabosen. Sorry again for pronunciation. Cana means cane or stalk, and then bosen. Bosen means uh, sticky. It refers to like a sticky resin that's taken from plants. Traditionally, this has been translated to sweet calamus, but many are not convinced that this is the plant being referred to. Uh, we use sweet calamus in healing anointments, yes, but not in such high concentrations. Exodus 30, chapter 30, verses 22 through 25 refers to a recipe for Moses' healing anointing oil, which states, and I'll go ahead and just read the, the verses. 
Take unto thee principal spices of pure myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet cinnamon, half so much, even 250 shekels, and of sweet calamus, 250 shekels, and of cassia, 500 shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary, and of oil, olive, and hin, and thou shalt make it an oil of holy anointment, an ointment compound after the art of the apothecary, it shall be a holy anointing oil." So this high a concentration of the sweet calamus would not only be caustic to the skin, but it could have caused, if, if used too often, could have caused multi-system failure. However, this concentration of cannabis oil in the healing anointment, knowing what we know now, would have been high enough to be of strong medicinal quality and would have helped to soothe many of the afflictions that are later mentioned in the New Testament. There are also several altars with traces of cannabis burned over them, among er other herbs and offerings found near Jerusalem from around 3000 BC. Um, Moses is often the center of, of curiosity uh, for cannabis in the Bible and in the Torah, I guess, Old and New Testaments. He is described as seeing a bush that is lit but not, does not burn, and he is spoken to by this bush. Um, I'm not going to actually read the verses here, but um, suffice to say that some people think that this may have been a direct reference to smoking cannabis flowers to receive revelation and therefore become engulfed in cannabis smoke and in his altered state would receive instructions from God. There's, an also, is, there's also an instance of God telling Moses that he would come to him in a cloud of smoke and when he did, those who walked by his house would kneel in prayer. So if Moses was sitting smoking cannabis in his house, um, then the smoke would come out the windows and the people would recognize the smell and recognize the smoke and know that Moses was speaking with God and therefore uh, would know to pray outside his house so that they could assist him in gaining that, that higher knowledge and that closeness. So next I wanna talk about the New Testament. Um, it uses the same oil that they use in the Old Testament, and that really is what binds these two things together. When a healer uses that kind of oil to heal the afflicted, they apply the oil themselves to their hands and then use their hands as a tool of healing with the cannabis oil. So the oil provides a mild psychoactive high for, high for both the healer, which brings them closer to God and their ability to heal, and then to the, to the afflicted themselves to heal, the, to give them physical relief. So the mild psychoactive high is really important for both the healer and for the person being healed. Um, the Jesus Christ in the New Testament, like I said, he uses the same recipe for the anointing oil that Moses did. And a lot of the things that Jesus healed back in the New Testament that is recorded are things that people use cannabis for today. So like healing the blind, uh, it, yes, that's, <laughs> that's not really something we do today as much, restoring mobility to painful limbs. Generally, uh, relief and pain is something that cannabis is used for, relief to skin ailments, um, epilepsy convulsions, excessive menstruation, all of these are widespread applicable uses of cannabis, and it has been used in such a manner all throughout history. In fact, Jesus' life in the Bible is contemporaneous with cannabis using being used for those exact ailments and that part of the world at that time. So it probably would have seemed like a natural plant to use in healing anointments, considering it was already being used as such. In this manner, the cannabis is not even really all that special uh, to the people who are watching these healings and these anointments being being done. It was probably already familiar to the people it was being used on. Uh, don't forget, controversy about cannabis was few and far between before the start of the 20th century. It happened, but it wasn't really until then that the world sort of came together and decided that cannabis was, was evil all of a sudden. In biblical times, it was still just a medicine. So whether or not it was used in the Bible, there are references that if it were used, can provide some insight sort of into how far and wide cannabis and hemp were spread. Some of our earliest archaeological evidence also comes from sites that are contemporaneous with some of the events in the Bible. In both texts, it, it seems that cannabis is provided by the divine for use, as well as for healing ointments, like the, the God divine is actually telling people to use these, to use this plant to heal people. Um, yeah, so 
Next, I want to talk about ancient China. I know I'm kind of just moving through these civilizations very quickly, and someday I would love to go back and go in really deep with each of these civilizations, but for now, I just want to give a general overlay of how cannabis traveled, and it was really, really influential in China. I think that China has one of the earliest histories with cannabis, uh, one of its most in innovative inventions, uh, paper, was likely invented on hemp, which makes it one of the most important plants in ancient history. Arguably, arguably, it could be the most important, as the invention of paper was revolutionary and completely changed our ability to do things such as communicate, pass down history, do business and trade, and experience other cultures and mindsets. Until then, we'd been carving our words into stone. It was the Chinese who created this innovation, having already used cannabis and hemp for many years for ropes, textiles, and healing oils. They didn't waste any part of the plant either. The roots were ground and boiled for medicines. The stems were woven into cloth and rope. The flowers were burned and distilled for intoxicants and healing agents. The seeds were used as grain and also made into cooking oils. Cannabis and hemp were often given also at burial ceremonies as offerings. Ancient China really knew how to get the most out of their cannabis plants. By 2900 BC, Emperor Hu Sai called cannabis a popular medicine, and it is included in the written pharmacopoeias across Chinese history. By 100 AD, over 100 medicinal benefits had been identified and added to this medical literature. They called it Ma, and it was believed to restore the balance between yin and yang energy. Shen Nung is considered the father of Chinese medicine, having lived supposedly 5,000 years ago, and he is said to have used cannabis for several things. He wrote about it in Pen Sao Ching, his first medicinal guidebook, to use it for rheumatism and pain, menstrual problems, gout and swelling, symptoms associated with malaria, and even absent-mindedness. Shen Nung was very dedicated to his work in medicines and toxic plants. It is said that he tasted over 365 herbs during his lifetime, some of them poisonous, to test their antidotes. And he ended up dying of an overdose. He ended up dying. He poisoned himself on accident, overdosing on one of his medicines. There was also a man found buried in the Gobi Desert in East Asia with a stash of cannabis dating back about 2,700 years. He was buried with a very significant amount of it, so it shows that uh, cannabis use was widespread in China in ancient times. They lost control of the Silk Road to the Scythians around 715 BC at the Battle of Talus. Until then, cannabis was traded for other goods and therefore spread to many other parts of the world, along with its uses and applications. Then in China, the rise of Taoism, which occurred around the same time as them losing uh, their rule of the Silk Road, it looked down upon all intoxicants and so it shunned the use of cannabis and it slowly lost favor. Save for there was one surgeon in uh, 200 BC, Hua To, who used powdered cannabis mixed with wine for his surgical anesthetic, which just sounds so amazing. That just sounds so good. <laughs> Somebody bring that back. Somebody bring back powdered cannabis mixed with wine, please. Uh, up to and until then, the Chinese, the ancient Chinese painted a very good picture of what cannabis like use would look like in, in the future. Then moving on to another ancient culture that cannabis was really, really a big part of their identity and part of their ritual was ancient India. Uh, it's been ancient, it's been integral to Hinduism since its inception, especially in a special drink and used nearly every day by some people in India still. The Atharva Veda scripts uh, show that cannabis was meant for consumption, and as Hinduism is the oldest and largest religion in India, those books have a lot of influence on Indian culture. It is used, it has been used throughout its history in religious practices and its medicine. It arrived in early 2000 BC from Korea, who brought it from Egypt. They also called it Ma, and they believed it to also balance, uh, balance energies, meant it to balance male and female energies. 
So for most people, the word bong, B-O-N-G, refers to a water pipe used to smoke cannabis, but for a much longer time, bong, B-H-N-G, B-H-A-N-G, I am so smart, B-H-A-N-G, referred to a drink made in ancient India, and it's still made today and consumed daily by some people. Bong is a cannabis-infused drink that has been used for thousands of years in India for general wellness, respiratory health, and also sexual well-being. It was used as an aphrodisiac. Um, I got lucky enough recently to work for a few days on a cannabis farm that had some extra buds, and I made some amazing bong. I found a couple of recipes. It includes boiled cannabis leaves and flowers. So when you have a, a large cannabis plant and you trim it, generally you trim off these big branches, but in between those branches, in smaller areas, there are little, I call them bonus buds that grow. So I picked all those, we use the trimmings, we use the sugar leaves, we use it with a, I put a tiny bit of butter in there just so that I could pull, so it was pulling as much THC and cannabinoids off the plant as possible. Then we use some almond milk, cinnamon, cardamom, you can use ginger, I put honey. Uh, sometimes, some of the recipes include saffron, which is worth more than its weight in gold. Look that up. Saffron is pound for pound, ounce for ounce, the most expensive thing in the entire world, which is just crazy. Um, but yeah, anyway, it literally, it got me higher than I've been in years. And it wasn't any sort of crazy psychoactive high. It wasn't incredibly, there was no paranoia to it. It was a very calming body high and it lingered over until the next day. It was insane. I was on my way back from my trip to that farm and I was walking around the airport like, wow, I am vibing still on this B-H-A-N-G. So, Generally, just generally, I generally, genuinely <laughs> would recommend for anybody who has some extra cannabis flower or leaves at their disposal, please try this. It is so delicious and the effects are so amazing. For religious purposes, <laughs> back to back to uh, real, you know, people using it for real things. Uh, it's used to celebrate Holly and Mahajivrati, and some people use it for a daily supplement because the cannabinoids are readily bioavailable. And mixing it with those spices, those spices also have their own healing properties for holistic well-being. It's a testament to how ingrained cannabis is in Indian culture from scriptures to its daily practices. Bong, it's a drink, it, it has been, consu been consumed for thousands of years. It was said to have been invented by a god named Shiva. He was distraught after a fight with his family, and he went for a walk outside and fell asleep under a cannabis tree. When he woke up from his nap, he ate some of the leaves of the tree, and he was so rejuvenated that he brought it back home with him. He made it his favorite food and then created bong. So the story goes. Numerous attempts to ban it by a European imperialist failed later. I'll talk a little bit more about that in uh, the, the next podcast. So it was, because, but it was very integral to their culture, and it was, it was they failed to, uh, they failed to ban it really in India. Despite its popularity, bong was the least potent way to consume cannabis. It was diluted in drink form and absorbed slowly, more like an edible. Ganja was close, closest to what we smoke as flour today, dried and ignited. India is also where um, Jamaica got their cannabis. So in the uh, Indians later on in history brought cannabis to Jamaica and introduced it to them as ganja. So that's where that also comes from. Then there was charas, charas. Sorry, which was the highest grade, which was made into solvents and oils. They uh, didn't smoke the plant matter from this grade. What they would do is they would rub the flowers in their hands and let their skin's natural oils pull the THC and terpenes off in the form of hash. And then they consumed it like cons. They made these big hash balls by pulling the, the sticky stuff off their hands after just rubbing it, which sounds just amazing. Um... Cannabis was heavily ingrained in Indian culture and religion. The Atharva is a collection of holy texts for the Hindu religion. 
And the Atharva Veda is the fifth book, and it's about magical plants and medicine specifically. In this text, there are references directly to cannabis as being a gift from the gods, which actually sparked a famous strain name, God's Gift. <laughs> there is there's a verse from the Atharva Veda which describes their which describes cannabis being given to the earth. I'll read a little bit of it. Forgive me. Thou that art born upon the mountains as the most potent of plants, come hither, O Kushtha, destroyer of the Takmen, to drive out from here the Takmen. To thee that growest upon the mountain, the brooding place of the eagle, and art sprung from him avant, they come with treasures, having heard thy fame, for they know thee to be the destroyer of the Takmen. The Asvatha tree is the seat of the gods in the third heaven from here. There the gods procured the Kushtha, the visible manifestation of Amrita, or Ambrosia. A golden ship with golden tackle moved upon the heavens. There the gods procured the Kushtha, the flower of Amrita. The paths were golden, and, the gold, and golden were the oars. Golden were the ships upon which they carried forth the Kushtha hither to the mountain. So basically what that says is that Kushtha or the cannabis plant grew in the in a tree in one of the realms of heaven of the gods and they basically brought it down and touched it upon a certain point on the earth and that's where cannabis started to grow the uh, kind of the the third dimensional or our realms iteration of it so they basically gave it to us from the heavenly realms um and they you know they come down and in this golden ship with golden tackle and ropes made of ambrosia and so yeah it's 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 a very divinely connected very divinely connected plant in this in this manner it was also associated with the god soma uh, each of the plants in the Atharva Veda had a relationship to Soma, but cannabis had the strongest one. Subsequently, Soma also refers to a secretion that is triggered by the human brain when you've reached a state of deep consciousness or by opening the crown chakra. Um, this is something that is not readily done anymore, but we later called it Soma, and it was after this god, I believe. So, yeah, um... It was really important to Indian culture. It was important to Indian culture in a lot of ways. They used it daily, and a lot of people still use it daily, which I find absolutely fascinating and really excellent that it came through this part of the world and is still really there today. So next I want to talk about ancient Egypt. I feel like ancient Egypt is especially the last sort of 150 years has been a source of complete fascination to us, to everybody. And as evidenced by the cannabis pollen being found on Ramses II body, the ancient Egyptians were well versed in the use of cannabis to heal various ailments, <clears throat> as well as they had a sense that it could be used spiritually. They believed that there is a material flow between this world and the next, why they buried their things, their dead with things that they could take with them, to, cannabis, to them, cannabis was a healing tool for a variety of illnesses, and if correctly translated, they called it Shem Shemet. Their cultivation methods were shared by Korean travelers to India and Europe, and like other cultures that used it for spiritual purposes, it had a special connection to the gods. Shishat was often pictured with a star-shaped leaf, leaf above her head and a length of rope in her hand, two things that are associated with cannabis and hemp, further evidencing that Shem Shemet is indeed cannabis. Bastet was also associated with its medicinal uses. The healing methods were used, uh, like, used were like those recorded in various spiritual works. The healer would gain a closer connection to the gods while they used the oil to provide the afflicted relief from their symptoms. Similar to the spiritual scriptures, the use of cannabis has some interpretation involved here, as much of our information about Europe, or sorry, about Egypt, comes from the translation of papyri, which we have only been able to translate for about 150 years. But if the Shem Shemet, featured in the various papyri we have interpreted to be cannabis, is indeed cannabis, then they also used it medicinally. The evidence of Ramses II having been buried with large amounts of cannabis pollen seems to confirm also this. 
As early as 2000 BC, the papyri refer to Shemshemet as being a healing tool for glaucoma and cataracts, hemorrhoids, excessive menstrual bleeding, cancerous tumors, and general pain and inflammation. The Ebers papyri has been dated back to about 1550 BC, where these ailments, as well as depression, were treated with cannabis. This is, I think, I think it's the first time that they talk about using cannabis for a mental health reason, which is still used for today. People use cannabis for anxiety. Really, the only, not the only, but the most prominent and the most important uh, mental illness to remember that cannabis does not help, that it actually worsens severely is schizophrenia. Schizophrenia does not have a good relationship with cannabis, but there is a laundry list of mental illnesses that do turn to cannabis for their, for its medicinal benefit. In fact, it's just, just a sidestep here for a moment. There, the cannabis industry that is legal, so modern day legal cannabis, really couldn't have been brought about without the need for soldiers who came back with PTSD to gain some relief without just bombarding their entire systems with all these psychopharmaceuticals and things they were you know self-medicating with pain medication things that were dangerous cannabis really provided relief in a way that other things couldn't provide relief for without overwhelming the body with some kind of negative side effects <clears throat> excuse me so yeah it it's useful for PTSD and in so much that it is now medicinally legal and has been for a very long time well a very long time to me I'm young so the last 20 years or so because of its usefulness for treating PTSD. So this is one of the first times I really came across it being used for a mental illness uh, in in the in the sort of in the sort of ancient period of things. Um, they also have a number of interesting recipes for treatment, including one that uh, describes a paste that you make of consisting ground cannabis seeds into honey and inserting the mixture directly into the vagina so as to help aid uterine heat. Now, I don't know exactly what uterine heat is. I imagine um, using it, I imagine they, they're talking about sexual heat, you know, to keep like like a cat, to keep yourself out of um, being getting, getting too, too excited. Um, another recipe suggests the use of cannabis in a mixture of ochre, resin, and eboli, which are kind of resinous sort of plant materials for the treatment of sore wounded extremities. So they also used it uh, in sort of a relieving, pain-relieving antiseptic sort of way. The Chester Beatty papyri, another later papyri, added colorectal diseases to the list, and then also it so also suggested it be used as a suppository. The ancient Egyptians were all about putting their medicine right on the ailment, like right on the ailing part of your body. So that's what they would do. They would just put it right there, put it right right up up in the suppository suppository area. Um, the Vienna papyri included ear pain and then also suggested using cannabis and mixtures with acacia. Um, acacia trees symbolize the, immortal, the immortality of the soul. It's an evergreen tree and the evergreen nature of it reflecting the part of us that never dies. Mixing that with a balanced cannabis energy was especially appealing for eternal life and those divine connections. This is consistent with civilizations discovering or being introduced to cannabis and quickly using it with a, a variety of diseases and disorders that grows over time before steadily becoming less relevant. Once it helps one thing, we have tended to use it for everything we could think of. Even now, think of all the things that are valid conditions for receiving a medical cannabis consumption license in most states. It's there, we can use it for everything. But anyway, because our knowledge of the ancient Egyptians is still a little bit porous due to the recent availability of the ability to translate these papyri. Remember, we couldn't translate papyri and learn anything about, like, anything really direct about the ancient Egyptians until the Rosetta Stone, which happened way more recently than you think it did. Look, look that up, because it was made it able for us to translate, I believe, Latin to Greek to, to Rome, to, uh, 
ancient Egyptian, I believe. But we can never be completely sure then that we're talking about cannabis with the ancient Egyptians, but most evidence does point to being true. Having found it on Ramses II, it seems that the Egyptians were indeed using it and were not shy about putting it directly on the afflicted area, as with many of their remedies. Although their use of it was later than the ancient Chinese and Indian cultures, its presence was less pervasive than, and, and the, their presence, sorry, its culture itself, the presence was, it was far more ephemeral than those other cultures. Uh, the ancient Chinese and ancient Indian cultures in the way that we think of them and the way that I'm speaking of them had more longevity than the ancient Egyptians. Speaking of passing longevity, the ancient Greeks and Romans, they were not shy about using intoxicants at all and cannabis was just one of the many things that caught their interest. They, uh, it was really the first time that we see written records of people just sitting around smoking together without it having any big religious or medicinal purposes just to enjoy company and to enjoy the, the psychoactive sort of high that you get. Um, of course, they learned this from a nearby nomadic tribe, which I will get into, and I will do it probably last because it is my absolute favorite part of uh, this ancient history uh, they they learned it from the Scythians, which was a whole other, which was a whole other ancient culture that lived very very near them. We'll talk about that in a second. So when it was used, it was used with pretty much with with relative enthusiasm. It was nearly taxed heavily heavily by Emperor Aurelian, but it never really made big enough waves. It first appeared in Greece and Rome around 200 AD when Herodotus brought it back from his ventures abroad, having met the Scythians and the Thracians, who will go, again, I'll go into detail about in the next segment. segment. They're my favorites. For the Greeks and Romans, it was mostly used for recreational and spiritual practices, and then there were several recorded medical uses as well. And since a lot of it is similar, I will kind of move through this more quickly. Ancient Greek and Roman medical texts outlined the use of cannabis for earaches, edema, and swelling, gout, arthritis, pain, and then added a new note. They kind of go within that uterine heat one, the repression of sexual desire. So that's one that comes up later, later in Egyptian culture and then repeats again in, uh, in Greek and Roman medicine, which is funny because I feel like the bong is used for like as an aphrodisiac so I guess it depends on who you are how you consume and what the what the absorption is like but anyway it generally like cannabis does have a sedating and soothing effect so it makes sense to give it to somebody to a condition that feels like you're in heat it's just particularly funny to me um especially knowing bong was an aphrodisiac and personal experience says that cannabis does not refresh sexual desire uh but it just might make you a little too lazy to act on it a little too comfy a little too comfy to do anything anyway uh, for spiritual purposes, the cannabis was thrown onto a red-hot altar with other spices like myrrh, balsam, and frankincense. This must have created an unbelievably fragrant smoke, smoke bath for the participants to connect with each other and with the gods' senses open to the heavens. They believe that the, the living entity in the cannabis disassembled when it was burned, and then when it was inhaled and smoke entered the body, it reassembled, putting one in a divine altered state. So you're intaking the essence, the godly divine essence of this plant. This early form of hotboxing was extremely social and spiritual, creating not only an altered state, but a sense of community. This is not far from how we enjoy cannabis together still, and how it creates a sense of familiarity among consumers, even those that have never met. I have said many times in my past, if I can smoke with you, then we can be friends. Um, yeah, so though it wasn't central to the culture of the Greeks and the Romans, sorry, I got a text, they used it with affection. They also, like other cultures discussed, were very important to the Silk Road trading route, which means they were part of the spread of cannabis and its applicable uses throughout the ancient world. This is no small role, especially considering the ancient Greeks were the ones who wrote down the history of their fierce northern neighbors, the Scythians, who were truly central to the spread of cannabis and played a large part in its making its way through Europe. The Greeks are also where we get a lot of our history. A lot of a lot of our language comes from Greek and a lot of our 
political ideals come from Rome. <laughs> and there's just no denying the similarities in, I mean, specifically for me in the U.S., as the cultures in between this and, and, Greek and Greek and ancient Rome. All right, so this is my favorite part about the ancient cultures. I'm finally going to talk about the Scythians and the Thracians. They're histories are somewhat intertwined, so I will kind of talk about them together. First, I'm going to talk about the Thracians, just because they're a little little more, a uh, little more subdued. They were fair-skinned, usually red-haired people who were Greek nomads. They were healers. They also burned cannabis over an altar, like we did see in uh, the ancient Greek section, what the ancient Greeks did. Um, and they also worshipped Dionysus. So these altars were likely in worship of Dionysus. And Dionysus is the god of wine, intoxication, hedonism, theater, bacchanalia. He is someone, he is a god, a deity that is associated with a lot of really you know, kind of fun and wonderful things. Primarily note about the Thracians' use of hemp was their expert use of the fibers. So we've talked about weaving the hemp stalks into fibers, but it generally didn't create a very nice fabric. It wasn't generally something that you wanted to wear unless you had to, but the Thracians were able to weave their fibers so nicely that according to Herodotus, the historian, their fabrics could be mistaken for linens. They were so finely woven. Linen, we'll talk about in um, the next podcast because it is relevant to maritime travel we used to use linen sails and so it was a a very common material to use we'll, we'll talk about that in the next one uh, but here it's important to know that you know linen is a much softer much much less durable but more comfortable material so for Herodotus to say that they're hemp fibers could be mistaken for linens is extremely significant. These were not comfortable fabrics at the time. Uh, the Thracians were just so able to fine-tune their work and were so dexterous with the fibers that their fabrics were comparable to much finer ones. I believe they also used their cannabis in burial rituals. I do believe they used to bury their dead with cannabis, with cannabis as well. So now I'm going to talk about the Scythians. The Scythians, I say for last because it's the longest section and I'm the most excited about it. I could, if I go back through and do individual ones, I honestly will probably start with this one just because I personally, and I blame this on being in the school system that I'm in, I personally knew nothing about the Thracian or about the Scythians. I think I'd heard it before, kind of in passing, but I didn't know anything about their culture or anything that they really stood for, what they were like. Partially, Part of that is because they have no written history, so it's harder to get really accurate history about the Scythians. But Herodotus, the Greek, and another another person, Diodorus, um, those two men gave us the histories that we were not able to get from the Scythians themselves. So during the years between 700 and 100 BCE, the Scythians ran central Eurasia from Germany to the Altai Mountains. These Greek-speaking nomadic master equestrians hold much of the credit for spreading the use of cannabis around the world. As they ran the trade routes from 715 BC until their dissolution a few hundred years later. Um, they won control of the Silk Road from the Chinese again in the Battle of Talus. Also on these nomadic trading routes were the um, were the Thracians. So they kind of used the same trading routes and were generally more entwined than uh, than they were with other cultures. So while they um, so while they're basically in in at least in my experience have been somewhat lost to household history, I lost my place. Sorry, it, they. Um, they were most likely of Iranian origin. They spoke Greek. Uh, they ruled the territory for basically the Altai Mountains were from China to Germany. And they moved seasonally between their many settlements. So they had a bunch of settlements they would move seasonally in between. And they all answered to one sovereign entity. 
Much of the cannabis that was traded between the 7th and the 1st centuries BC was via the Scythians, and we have no historical records written. So all we do, well, we rely on the retellings from Herodotus and Diodorus, who brought discoveries to ancient Greece back along with their cannabis and the way that they used it. So though they all know how, to, so though they had no written language, they all spoke Greek and used the same trade routes, answering to one that, that one sovereign entity and working as a general collaborative. They were a matriarchal society that made very different, little differentiation between men and women, especially in battle. In fact, women were expected to make at least three kills in battle before they were permitted to marry. Early in life, girls' right breasts would be removed to prevent their growth, hindering women's ability to brandish swords with as much vigor as the men were able to. So they remove the right breast early in life, like pre prepubescent time, but not so it would not in in any way to take something away from them what they were doing was allowing more room for the pectoral and the chest muscles to grow so she could brandish her sword and then the left breast was left intact to nurse new babies so they were seen as they were revered they were viewed to be as superior because they could both kill in battle and nourish new life so they were very much seen as you know spirits and people that were capable of anything. Women were revered in that culture. They were all expert equestrians. They mastered the horse and cart before almost anyone else, so their ground speed was second to none. They could travel really, really fast for the time. Not only that, but they were heavily armed and imposing, carrying Persian swords, Chinese knives, shields branded with golden animals, Greek hel helmets, and chain mail. So they just took the best of what they found while they were around and used it in battle. They also were tattooed head to toe with earned tribal markings as well as real and mythical beasts. So they earned their tattoos in battle and exploration in what they did and what they contributed and they just created this incredibly imposing figure that must have been really something to see uh, when they came to invade really with their horses and their horse and carts they were absolutely on the cutting edge of technology which is fantastic um it, they used they used a lot of cannabis primarily however they used it in their cult of the dead in their rituals so especially in their burial of burial of royalty cannabis was always present whether it was thrown over an altar or buried with the deceased, it was part of their transcendence into the next life. They worshipped the great goddess, I apologize, Tabiti Hestia, the Scythian version of Athena. She was the patron of fire and beasts and carried a moon sickle blade that would later be put in the hands of death himself in more modern cultures as a scythe. She was Mother Time, the bringer of death, the earth that devoured her own children and perpetuates the life cycle. She was also the only deity ever pictured in Scythian art uncovered in two rather extraordinary tapestries from that time. They also had a class of shamans called the Enneries who performed their healing rituals with cannabis. They were unique in that they didn't conform to one gender, rather they exhibited traits of both genders and therefore were seen to have one foot in our world and one foot in the spirit world. Such was the fluidity of their gender that was their passage through the veil. When they made prophecies, they kept their voice high in pitch, and while this stra sounds strange now, this is not an unusual practice for shamanistic healers at the time. So, took a little tangent there, but yeah, they had these enneries that they would look to for healing and for guidance, and they used cannabis in, you know, in the ways of spirituality. Then, when... Uh, because it was so ingrained in their spiritual beliefs when a queen died she was buried with a tomb of items that she could use in the next life which included a ceremonial jar of cannabis it also included things like white silks 
dishes, a mirror, horse harnesses, of course, gotta have horse harnesses because they are all about the horses, and then all of that canvas with her. King's burials were a little bit different. King's burials were a teeny tiny bit different. They did consist of a nice ceremony uh, consisting of the people gathering in a ceremonial teepee-like structure. They threw enough cannabis seeds and flour over a burning altar to share the pervasive psychoactive effects that, as we've seen and believe, believe this is the where the Greeks got it, the ancient Greeks, where they learned these practices. The people, Herodotus wrote that they would be overcome with the shouts and ecstasy brought on by the cannabis. They would bathe in the smoke and grieve their fallen monarch. And excitement would lull after the emotion had been expelled. This goes in line with the effects seen today of smoking cannabis, a euphoric psychoactive high followed by a come down of sorts that is mildly sedative. After this ritual, the body of the king was paraded around the areas he ruled. So paraded in front of his people where he ruled so that people could mourn him. And then once this tour de corpse was over, the king's body was burned with some ceremonial cannabis and opium. So the king's body was burned with cannabis and opium. Tra traces of this were found in a golden sarcophagus actually in 2015. So super recently, someone found a Scythian burial sarcophagus and found that burnt cannabis around and inside of it, found those traces, which is very cool. However, in the tomb also included his wives, servants, horses, cupbearers, etc., to join him in the next life, whether they were ready to or not. Though it seems particularly barbaric to us now, it wasn't all that uncommon for other people to die alongside a husband or a ruler. However, this ritual was later used in propaganda in anti-cannabis campaigns to convince people that smoking weed would turn people into barbarians, but it is generally agreed upon that constant and increased use of cannabis was part of the cause for the Scythians' decline. They just sort of calmed down. Those formidable fighters that they had always been really just sort of faded out a little bit. They sort of just relaxed. This incredibly formidable nomadic tribe may have had fierceness comparable to the Greek Spartans, uh, superior to the Greek Spartans possibly, but their contribution to cannabis and the trade is undeniable, and their use of it was all at once unique and in line with what cannabis had been historically used it for. They did use it the way that it had always been used, but they put their own spin on it. They used it their own way, and the Greeks really took notice of this. So those are all the civilizations that I am going to talk about in this podcast. Uh, the It's been really a lot of fun doing this. I hope that it was enjoyable. I really enjoyed doing all of this research. I hope that you learned something new. I hope that you have a refreshed appreciation for cannabis. Uh, if you liked this, please join me in my next podcast. I think I'm going to keep a tradition of recording on Thursday and posting on Friday. If you would like to join me, please subscribe to my accounts. I believe I am going to go ahead and use uh, Dabby Lee Miller. That is my sort of pen name. It, uh, my name, or Trillion. Uh, Trillion is just a nickname that I use. Dabby Lee Miller is for my all my accounts. Um, I'll put information in any descriptions that I'm able to write. However, this is the first podcast that I've ever recorded, so I've never even posted anything like this. So hopefully, hopefully you did enjoy it, and hopefully you'll come back for my next podcast. Next week, I'm going to talk about how cannabis uh, really infiltrated Europe, really came into being used after you starting around probably 1200, 1400 AD. Uh, the Dark Ages were very, just there's not a lot of information that I could find about cannabis, so I'm going to do uh, the exploratory age of Europe. And I really look forward to talking about that, and I really hope to, you know, I really hope you all choose to listen again soon. Again, this is Forgotten Things, the podcast that covers forgotten people, histories, holidays, anything that has been lost to household knowledge. Thank you so much for joining me, and I hope to see you next time. Bye.